good morning. <clears throat> it's an honor for me to be here at the Fourth Avenue Church of Christ, whose first preacher was Alexander Campbell, delivered the inaugural sermon. He is a member of the Church of Christ Hall of Fame. And your current preacher is the Cy Young award-winning and world-traveling Patrick Mead. And I, this morning, am your visiting preacher, who will be proud to say for the next six days that I have preached the most recent sermon where the Irishman Campbell inaugurated and the Scottish Mead holds forth every Sunday. And I'll boast. I feel warmly welcomed by Trace Hebert. Trace and I share several bonds, as he's mentioned, including geography. Trace is one of four living members of the Church of Christ from the state of Vermont. <laughs> and, and I am one of the four living members of the Church of Christ from the state of Washington. And while Vermont and Washington are separated by a continent, in the Church of Christ, we hail from so far north that we appear to everyone in Churches of Christ to have the same accent. And, we, and people assume that we were raised in the same neighborhood. My esteemed colleague, Michael Williams, and student Lauren King, of whom I am exceedingly proud, who is an exceptional preacher. I am grateful to be with you all this morning. The sermon is entitled, In or Out, Us or Them, Red or Blue, What Are You? And our text is taken from Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. On Monday, August 18th, just shy of three weeks ago, I received the following email from a former student who ministers in a small church of about 100 attendees that is not near here, nor is it near Ferguson, Missouri. He wrote, I am in need of your counsel. Yesterday, he said, I told the congregation that this coming Sunday, I would address the events that have transpired in Ferguson concerning Michael Brown. To my surprise, he continued in the email, I've received more feedback today about this upcoming sermon than I have in the last 13 years combined on any other subject I've told the congregation I was going to preach about. For the first time ever, he continued, an elder asked me to tell him beforehand what I was going to say. The tone of the reaction, he said, has been mixed. Many saying they are glad I'm going to address what they've been hearing about in the news, while others suggested that this is a topic I should ignore. So, he concluded the email, I was hoping you might have some time to give me a call and we could talk through this. Like you, I have been hearing and reading lots of opinion on Ferguson and related issues. Reports coming to me from Fox News and MSNBC and my friends on Facebook. So much so that blood pressures seem to be rising and troubles are continuing to brew. Tensions are running high. Which is why we come to church, to get away from all of that. 
It may be 90 degrees outside with humidity making it feel like 107, but we want the air conditioner to be running smooth inside the church. People outside drawing lines in the sand, but inside we want our Jesus meek and mild, cool, calm, and collected. And we don't want to hear a sermon entitled, In or Out, Us or Them, Red or Blue, How About You? And we would prefer to stay away from texts like this one. Have you looked at it yet? Mark 4, verses 10 to 13. Read it with me. And when Jesus was alone, those who were following him and the twelve asked him about the parables. He said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may see but not perceive, that they may hear but not understand, lest they turn again, lest they be forgiven. And then he said to the twelve and the followers, do you not understand the parable? How will you understand all the parables? Well, that's a difficult passage. Jesus has just told the parable of the sower while standing in a boat, addressing a throng of folk on the shore, that parable about the four kinds of soils, the thin, the thorny, the rocky, and the good, which Jesus will very soon interpret in detailed allegory. But here, Nestled between the parables telling and the parables interpretation lies our text, which seems to be creating a bit of trouble. May I say that Jesus has just made an off-putting statement. He's ignited a, a firestorm of controversy. The setting is pretty simple. The disciples and his close followers don't understand the parable of the thin, thorny, rocky, and good soil. And so not knowing the meaning of the parable and being ever the ardent students, they ask, what does the parable mean? Which follows the good advice that all of you parents have given to your children, saying, sweetheart, if you don't understand, raise your hand and ask. And so the disciples don't understand, and they raise their hand and they ask, what does the parable mean? To which Jesus responds by saying, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. To whom? To you. Who is you? The twelve and the followers, silly. The ones who asked the question, the ones who separated themselves from the crowd. Who? People like you and me. Christians, true believers, followers of Christ, members of the Church of Christ, us. To you, he says, the insiders, has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. We should draw a circle around us. In green, write the twelve, the followers, us. And then in gold, write what we have. We have the mystery of the kingdom of God. Draw a black circle around us. And then on the outside of that circle, use the word that Jesus uses. Write the word outsiders. Write the word them. Us on the inside, them on the outside. Who are the outsiders? Everybody who's not us. People not like you and me. Not Christians, not believers, not followers of Christ, 
not us. So what do you think so far? So far so good? Eh, no, I'm a little uncomfortable with this. Why? It sounds a little sectarian to me. Sounds a little exclusive to me. Somebody should have told Fleur that we're a progressive church. We've got a band. I think we should all be just getting along. <laughs> well, if you don't like it so far, it gets worse. The outsiders get everything in parables. Why? Jesus says. I give them things in parables. I tell parables to them, he says, so that they will not perceive. They won't understand. They won't repent. And they won't be forgiven. What? He says he tells parables so that they'll stay confused, remain lost. That's what he said. I'm uncomfortable with that. I don't like that. That does not sound like Jesus meek and mild. Not the Jesus I know, cool, calm, and collected. Well, you're in good company. Matthew didn't like it either. Where Mark says that Jesus told parables so that they wouldn't repent, Matthew nuances it a little bit. He changes it a bit. Matthew says he told parables because they have not repented. Very different. That's fine for Matthew. But we're in Mark, who has Jesus say, I tell them parables so that they will not repent. Now what do you think? I think this whole thing's offensive. Drawing circles around us excluding them and telling parables to keep them lost. Doesn't Jesus know he's being recorded? He needs to get a grip. He needs to calm down. He needs a timeout. Well, maybe we should spend a little time with this. Perhaps a little background will help. This is early in the gospel story, but already the crowds are expanding and growing. He's so busy, Mark says he can't eat a meal. He's so popular, Mark records, he can't publicly enter a city. After he heals a woman near death, the whole city gathers near the door. He's grown so popular that when he speaks on the seashore, they have to have a boat waiting, waiting lest the crowd pushes him into the sea. So that when he begins our parable of the soils, he's in the boat, avoiding the crush of the crowd. People are coming to him from everywhere, Mark reports. Everyone is looking for you, Peter says. So, it may be high time that Jesus separate us from them, the wheat from the chaff. Let them stay confused. What do you think now? This is Jesus acting in a very un-Jesus-like way, I think. Now, not that Jesus needs any help from me, but I would like to make a couple of observations about our text. Number one, maybe here Jesus has his tongue in his cheek when he addresses his disciples. They come with a question. They come because they don't understand. These apparently prohibitive parables are for those who don't understand. So Jesus then puts them from inside the circle, outside the circle. It's as if he's given an eraser and begins to blur the lines. Second, and even more telling, in the very next 
passage after this parable. I'm talking about verse 21. Jesus declares with great clarity, nothing is hidden except to be revealed. A light isn't intended for the closet. It's meant to illuminate the entire room. And now he's taken the eraser and he's removed the circle entirely. He draws a circle around us and a separating us from them and then he gives us the tools to erase the circle. Comfortable? Eh, not entirely. I wish he hadn't drawn the circle. That's not how I see Jesus working. Well, maybe we need to rethink how we see Jesus working. Maybe Jesus is trying to make us uncomfortable. Maybe he's trying to put his foot out, cause us to stumble so we can get up, brush ourselves off, and head in a new, different direction. The fact is that a lot of Jesus' parables are offensive, and a lot of heroes in his stories are offensive people. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Pharisee? You say, Pharisee? My cousin's a Pharisee. My cousin went to Harvard. Our whole family is so proud of my Pharisee cousin. He's been an advisor to two governors. He's an expert on religion. He's really close to people in power. We respect the Pharisees. And a tax collector. Tax collector? Did you say tax collector? We had a tax collector one time that came to my grandmother's house. She answers the door with her walker. She's wearing her faded purple house dress. That tax collector took my grandma, turned her upside down, and shook her until the last nickel came out of her house dress. I hate the tax collectors. Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Pharisee stood and prayed thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other people, swindlers, adulterers, unjust, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I make. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus I tell you that this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For he who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The hero? A tax collector. That's offensive. Or how about the good Samaritan? Samaritans desecrated the temple. Samaritans made a mockery of all that is holy. So about 20 years ago, I was assigned to preach a sermon on the Good Samaritan to a group of about 200 preachers. It was the very month that the Oregon Gay Alliance was pitted in battle against the Oregon Evangelical Ministerial Alliance, with the pastors fighting to prevent homosexuals from teaching in the public schools. The culture war was raging. And so as I'm preparing for a sermon on the good Samaritan, I thought, what's a modern-day equivalent? I know. I'll make it the good homosexual. Out there early in the morning, in the rain, in the ice, in the snow, trying to start your car. All the neighbors are gone, except for the homosexual who lives down the street. He knocks on your car's window. Need a hand? Priest and Levite, we're in a rush. They're long gone. But the homosexual neighbor takes you to the shop, takes you to work, and pays for what you can't afford. After the sermon, a few of the preachers approached me. They said, that was a creative sermon. Uh, Had a little difficulty with one part. I said, what could have been the problem? They said, the good homosexual? I said, 
well, who would you prefer? And they said, how about the Mormons? I said, the Mormons? That would have worked great in 1853, but this is 1994 and there's a culture war brewing and Christians are busy drawing circles, separating themselves from those who are outside, whom they despise because they're outsiders. And now it's 2014. And in Ferguson and a thousand communities like it across this nation, blood pressures are rising, troubles are brewing, and folk are drawing circles, separating us from them. And so that afternoon, the former student who had emailed me asking to talk through the crisis in the congregation, I called him. I asked, I said, what are people saying? He said, just yesterday in our kitchen, one of the congregation's leading women, a real sweetheart, he said, she said, I'll be honest, if my son or daughter dated an African-American, I'd have a real problem with that. Does that make me a racist? I said, well, what's your wife telling you? He says, she tells me that when I take on issues like this, half the congregation thinks I'm doing it because I'm a Democrat. And he said, and I'm not a Democrat. And I'm not a Republican either. I said, good. Just try real hard to be a Christian. Because folk out there are working even harder, drawing circles. Media making a handsome profit. Politicians getting elected, drawing circles telling us who the outsiders are. And they don't do it with nuance, and they don't do it with subtlety, and they don't do it with any implied irony. They draw their circles to stay in business. They draw their circles to get elected to office. They, get, they draw their circles to seize power, which causes our blood to boil without any intention of anyone erasing the lines. In contrast, when Jesus tells stories, he sometimes draws circles with an intention of erasing the very circles that he's drawn. His parables are full of it, intending to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Jesus, by the way, is not meek and mild. He's not waiting here in church for us to stamp his approval on our political preferences on our moral choices, and on our pleasant lifestyles. He's willing to knock us down so that we might get up and brush ourselves off and head in a new direction. Of course, the reality is that for years we've busied ourselves separating us from the crowd. Churches of Christ were long famous for drawing theological sectarian circles that would identify us apart from the outsiders, especially the Baptists and the Methodists. But those sectarian days are behind the progressive churches of Christ, like Fourth Avenue. Instead, what we've done is transfer our proclivity for circle drawing from theological minutiae to the macro issues, like race and class and gender. But there's one question that troubles me still. 
One question that, that remains is how are we to erase the circles that we've drawn or have been drawn for us? The Sunday arrived. It was two weeks ago today. And my former student preached. Early in the sermon, he told the congregation that while Michael Brown didn't live in their community, racism still thrived. And then he told the story of an African-American teenager who at this point in the sermon was unnamed, who this summer at a Church of Christ summer camp was harassed and bullied because of the color of his skin. And when he closed the sermon, he identified the victim with the victim's permission, the victim of all those racist activities, who was a young man, 15 years old, in that small congregation whom everybody knew and whom everybody loved. I asked him, how was the sermon received? He said, it went well. He said, many in the congregation said, this conversation matters. Let's keep talking. And I think I witnessed somebody erasing a circle.